listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I'd like for you to join me in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Some of your Bibles may have fallen open to 1 Corinthians. Um, I understand. If you're not sure where to go from there, just take a hard turn to the left, go to the front of the book, okay? Genesis chapter 1. Today we're starting a new sermon series called Our Imperfect Family. Now I'm making um, the bold assumption that our families are imperfect because our families are made up of imperfect people. At the same time, I recognize we probably have a few grandparents in the room who are thinking, Preacher, my grandkids are perfect, okay? I, I, I understand uh, where you're coming from. or I, I don't personally, but I can imagine, okay? Um, but regardless of your current family profile, and all of our families are different. I have three grown adult kids, and I have an 11-year-old. Um, we're 11 years in, and that still hasn't sunk into me just yet, okay? Um, so I recognize all of our families are different. We're all in different phases of life. Some of us are navigating the challenges associated with our, our parents aging and and what does that look like? And how do we handle these issues? Some of you are navigating the challenges associated with a blended family. And um, that's I, I understand that experience. It's something that I lived. And so uh, all of us, our families look a little bit different. But the simple truth is this. If you put two or more imperfect people together in relationship, whether they live in the same house or not, you will have some relationship challenges. You just will. So not everything that we're going to cover in this eight-week series is going to apply necessarily just to family life. I think it will apply to um, your relationships in general, whether it be in the workplace or uh, at school or whatever the case may be. And so I hope that um, that you'll be encouraged. I also hope that you will be challenged uh, by the Word of God and by His Holy Spirit. But we know that uh, you get two people together... In relationship, there will be some challenges, and especially in the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. It seems like there is more in our current cultural moment to divide us than at any other time in history. I can't tell you how many people have come to me over the last year and a half and have said things like, Pastor, like I've got family members who don't even speak to me now because of politics or because of opinions about COVID and the vaccine and mask wearing and all of the different things that we find dividing us in this cultural moment. And the thing that makes it incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging is the fact that we have social media today. And so most of us could say that, hey, 20 years ago, you might have had some distant relatives and maybe you rarely have ever talked to them. You may have seen them you know, at the annual Christmas gathering or at the family reunion or whatever, but, but you maybe even in those settings didn't get an opportunity to hear all of their firmly held convictions and opinions on everything. But now, because of social media, it's different. So some of you have experienced the pain associated with family members who are like, okay, I'm done with you. You know, 
So these are challenging times. We know that there will be hurtful words. We know that there will be toxic attitudes adopted. We know that there will be misunderstood motives and assumptions made and hurt feelings because we know that relationships in general are just challenging. It's not easy. And family life is challenging. The subtitle of this series is this, Getting Real About the Health of Your Home. Getting real about the health of your home. And we're talking, of course, about spiritual health. And so, Lord willing, over the next eight weeks, we're going to learn from God's Word what we can do to experience spiritual health in our homes. Today's word is the word hope. The word hope. Uh, If your doctor diagnoses you with a particular health issue, uh, but then says, but there's really nothing we can do. Those are pretty discouraging words to hear in that context because you are left to feel like you'll just have to live with the issue, the pain, the discomfort if it isn't life-threatening. And in the worst cases, that means that this issue will likely take your life because there's nothing we can do. Let's face it, some of the hardest words to hear are there's no hope. There's no hope. And that's true in every area of life. So it seems that I'm talking to more and more people today who feel hopeless for one reason or another. Whether it's the pandemic or whatever the case may be, you feel like America's just in a different place than it's ever been. And even as we we looked at the 20 to 20 to 20 to 11, you're thinking, man, I'm not sure that we're in a better place than we were then. And, And so it leaves people with this feeling of despair sometimes and discouragement and all those things. Now, I also recognize that not everybody is there as it relates to their family. I mean, I hope and pray that all of you aren't sitting here this morning going, as it relates to my family life, it's just like hopeless. Now, I know there may be some wives sitting here going, to get my husband to put his dirty underwear in the hamper, I'm pretty sure it's hopeless at this point, okay? There's, you know, it just, we're not talking about that kind of stuff, okay? I want us to look at some, some deeper spiritual truths over the next several weeks. And so if you're thinking that this series is going to be Pastor Mike giving you three simple steps, you just go do those three simple steps and it's going to fix everything in your family. That's not what this is about, okay? I want us to actually go deeper than that. And there is little point in us moving forward in this sermon series if we don't believe and know and understand that there is hope for our families, And I hope and pray today that you can leave here saying, I have hope. And I'm not just talking about pie in the sky. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about genuine hope that is attached to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture has a lot to say on the subject of hope. In preparation for this morning's message, I jotted down just a few verses of Scripture that God has used in a profound keep my hope reservoir from running dry. Psalm chapter 42, verse number 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 62, 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. In Psalm 71, verse number 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word, I hope. Unless you think all of the hope verses are found in the Psalms or even in the Old Testament, 
Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 15, verse 5, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Now, I'm not here to just give you a pep talk this morning. That's not what I do. <laughs> That's not the task to which God has called me. Okay, to have hope that our families can be biblically healthy, we must look at what it is that sometimes steals our hope. Why do the challenges of family life, why do they seem to sometimes punch holes in the reservoir of our hope? Here's the first thing I want you to understand. No pain like family pain. There's no pain like family pain. Family pain is the injury that hits the hardest, it seems. It hurts the most. It lingers the longest. It can come from so many different directions. Maybe it's the pain of a prodigal child or grandchild, the, the deep wounds of abuse or neglect or unfaithfulness or fractured relationships. It could be the loss of a loved one and the grief associated with that. We all have our own stories, and we, we know firsthand that nobody can hurt us like the ones we love the most. But is this some kind of new phenomenon? Is this something that, that just popped up in the last several years or here in the 21st century? Is it a sign of the times? Oh, hardly. In fact, I want us to consider for just a moment some biblicals of family pain. I think first of, of David, King David. By the end of his life, King David had been through many highs and many lows. Remember, he defeated Goliath. But he also experienced persecution by King Saul. He became king after Saul's, 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 the Israelite army. But later, David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, which led to the murder of her husband. David was confronted by Almighty God through a prophet named Nathan. David had experienced a lot by that point in his life, but his greatest pain was really still ahead. If family is the biggest pain target in our hearts, then I suppose that our children are like the bullseye. David learned this truth firsthand when his son Absalom turned on him and became rebellious. The episode itself, it's so messy, so complex that it sounds like the storyline of, of a soap opera or something. It all started when Absalom murdered his half-brother for raping his sister Tamar. Later, Absalom became jealous of his father's popularity and he turned his most trusted advisors against him and chased David not only off the throne, but out of the city of Jerusalem. So there was David alone in exile, as it were, while the shattered remains of his army were out trying to defeat his own son. Talk about family pain. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18, two runners are seen approaching the exiled king to update him on the battle. The first one gives a vague, pretty lame report, actually. So David then asks the second messenger, the Cushite, he says, Is it well with the young man Absalom, according to 2 Samuel 18.32? He didn't ask about the battle. He didn't care about the victory. At that point, he didn't really care about the throne. What he desperately wanted to know was, Is my son okay? How's my boy? That's what he wanted to know. And the messenger answered him. He said, let the enemies of my Lord the King and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. That is a sanitized way of reporting to David the fact that his son Absalom was dead. 
And verse 33 there tells us, the king was deeply moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he said, as he walked, you can just picture him pacing back and forth in his grief. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. How can you explain that David, the king, mighty warrior, was crying like a baby when his enemy is finally defeated? That's because the enemy in this case was his own flesh and blood. And there is no pain like family pain. Those we love the most are also those to whom we are the most vulnerable. After the flood, Noah planted a vineyard, got drunk. According to Genesis chapter 9, verse 21, tells us that he was naked in his tent. His son Ham came along, saw the shame of his father's nakedness, but instead of covering him to preserve whatever dignity he had left, he went and told his two brothers, according to verse 22. When Noah learned what Ham had done, he flew into a rage and cursed Ham's son. There's no pain like family pain. I think of Eli. Eli was a priest in the temple of the Lord. The Bible tells us that his own sons were sitting out of the offering and sleeping with, with women to what amounted to be the front door of the church, essentially. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 describes them as worthless men. They did not know the Lord. How Eli must have anguished over the fact that he spent his entire life serving God, yet he lost his own sons. There is no pain like family pain. Called to speak for God, a prophet named Hosea. Married a woman, prostitute, Gomer, she is a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, went out and slept with every willing man that she could find, and on two separate occasions, she came home pregnant. The first illegitimate child was named Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. The second named Lo Ami, which means not mine. So can you just, the prophet walking through the streets, introducing his children, hey, why don't you meet my two kids, not loved and not mine. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So the Bible is not a collection, 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 collection or photoshopped family pictures. Some of Scripture's saddest verses, most sobering verses, are family verses. Many times the story is all too familiar and incredibly personal. They proclaim the truth that there is no pain like family pain. Now what about today? What about today? Anybody who has any kind of an idea of the, the pulse of the world in which we live and this country particularly knows that we got some family issues, do we not? Let me give you just a few examples. One popular magazine asked its readers, which, which would you rather have, five extra hours at home a week or $10,000 a year? 83%, 83% said they would take the money. For women between the ages of 15 and 45, domestic violence is the most common cause of injury. Sadly, the church is not exempt. Studies show that 10 of every 60 women in the church are being abused verbally at home, and 3 of those 10 are also being abused physically. The National Center of Addiction and Substance Abuse surveyed hundreds of kids between the ages of 12 and 17 and found that only 25% reported living in a home where parents established and enforced rules. 75% reported living in homes with no rules, no guidelines, no deadlines, and no curfews. And out of that naturally comes all sorts of crazy statistics related to dysfunction, uh, to prolonged therapy, to substance abuse, to adult criminal activity. 
It's not a pretty picture. And I'm not suggesting that that's where all of you are today, okay? I recognize that. In fact, some of you may be going, Pastor, we're in a pretty good spot right now, actually, as it relates to our family. And I hope that you can say that. But I also hope this morning that you were honest enough to say, even in this season, as joy-filled as it may be, as, as, as fun as it may be, we too have our challenges. We have our challenges. So I want us to talk just briefly about the root of all the family pain. Why all this family pain? Well, you've got to understand, in the beginning, there was no family pain. There was no family pain. God created the entire universe, speaking into existence everything from the planets and the stars to the earth itself, every plant and animal that calls our world home. And according to Genesis chapter 1 here, verse number 25, it was good. It was good. Then he came to the crowning moment of creation. And that's where I want us to, to give our attention for just a few moments this morning. Look at verses 26 through 28 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve had it made. There was no pain of any kind in the Garden of Eden, least of all family pain. They had a perfect relationship with God and each other because they were at that point without sin. They had a beautiful place to call home, no bills to pay. They were the picture of perfect health. And I can just hear Adam saying, hey, babe, let's be fruitful and multiply. After all, that's the job God gave us, and I really like that job. The first family was living in perfect harmony until Genesis 3. So if you just flip the page there, I want us to look at verses 1 through 7 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast, other beast, other beast, other beast. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat of, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the, fruit was, that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Genesis 3 is the reason that this sermon series is entitled, Our Imperfect Family. Our Imperfect Family. And you see here in these few verses of Genesis chapter 3 that the downward spiral of the first family started when God's word was doubted. It was doubted. It's still happening today, isn't it? 
I could give you a pretty long list of students who grew up in churches that I've pastored, grew up in our student ministry, went off to university, went off to college somewhere, and not too long afterward called me or when they were home for the first time and said, Pastor, I've got, I've got like professors that are telling me like the Bible's not even really true. And like it's just mainly a bunch of myths and fairy tales and stuff, or it can't be trusted and everything. And so the word of God for all, all time, it's been under attack, right? Well, we see that here. God's word was, was doubted. We see that God's word was distorted. Again, still happening today, isn't it? We see God's word distorted all the time. Well, this is not, did God really say, is this really what God means? I mean, after all, we live in the 21st century. We live in a more enlightened time. And so that, that, that part there, that's pretty outdated without any real understanding of Scripture and the big picture and the meta-narrative and, and how certain parts of Scripture apply during certain periods of time and to certain people and all those sorts of things, making these broad, sweeping assumptions about the validity of God's Word. Word of God is distorted, and then it's denied. Then it's disobeyed. So sin entered the world... And with it came family pain. Adam and Eve disobeyed the direct commands of God, and the family fallout was immediate. Notice what we see here. Broken fellowship with God. They went and hid. Shame regarding themselves and their bodies. They covered themselves up. Relational strife. There was blame shifting going on, right? And then we know that God's judgment brought pain to the family, pain in their roles, pain in the man's work, pain to the woman in childbearing. And all family pain from that day until this day results from the choice to sin. That's the root of the issue. And here's the truth that we all need to take with us today. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. You may not see that immediately, in fact, maybe right now you're sitting there thinking about some friend or some coworker or whatever that, that you know that they're not living according to the principles found in God's Word. And it seems to you like they're really enjoying themselves. Right? But we know this is an incredible, important, eternal truth. When we choose to sin, ultimately we choose to suffer. And so since that day, families have been injured and fractured by distracted husbands and detached wives and distant relationships and marriages that are many times characterized by selfishness and loneliness and suffering. Now again, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, we're, we're strong. We're doing great. Things are, things are rocking along pretty good. We're certainly not perfect, but I mean, we're, we're in a good place. Maybe you are a strong couple, but you also know that you're devastated by the weight of children, 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 children that break your heart. For others, it's financial burdens. For some, it's infidelity. For others, it's substance abuse or sexual addiction or worse. Maybe it's just a thousand little things that could and should be much better. And maybe you are at the place where you are asking, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Maybe not as it relates to your marriage staying intact, but you're wondering in this particular situation or this particular relationship with this particular family member or whatever, is, is there really any hope? Is there any hope for restoration and healing? What I'm here to tell you today is this. Until we are willing to call the issues in our homes what they really are, that is my sin, my neglect, my avoidance, my pride, my stubbornness, my rebellion, my refusal to live according to God's word, we are not going to experience true biblical health in our homes. 
It's the root of the issue. Many of you know that several years ago, we'd only been in Van Alstine, I guess, for about a year. I uh, somehow, still don't know exactly how this happened, but I developed it in my foot. The bottom of my foot. Got up one morning, we were in a hotel, we'd gone out to meet our daughter Ashley for her birthday, and and I told my wife, I said, I feel like maybe I stepped on something, like a Lego or something. You know, it was like really sore. And then when I looked at the bottom of my foot, it was, it was really red and looked kind of angry. And I thought, well, this, is, this is probably not good. And so I, I set up an appointment with the doctor. And, and uh, by the time I got in to see the doctor, it, it looked like it had gotten worse. And so the doctor sent me down to another doctor down in Allen. And I ended up in the hospital there. And they were running tests and, and running blood tests and all these different things. And came back to me with the news that I had MRSA in my foot, which is a serious infection. So they put me on some high-powered antibiotics, and I'm, I'm laying there really kind of waiting for the podiatrist. He was at a Boy Scout retreat with his son, and uh, so after a day or two, he came in to see me, and I'm thinking that he's going to kind of clean up my foot or whatever there in the hospital room, and he's going to send me home, and he just laughed when I told him that. He said, no, no, you, you don't want to be awake for what I'm going to do to your foot. He said, basically, I'm going to take you into the operating room, and I'm going to fillet the bottom of your foot. I'm going to power wash it. I'm going to leave it open on a wound vac for a couple of days. We're going to go back in there. I'm going to clean it out some more, and then I'm going to staple it shut. And I thought, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it was not awesome, y'all. It was not. And, and at first, I'm sitting there going, it, isn't that kind of aggressive? Like, I'm going, you know, and it wasn't until he looked me in the eye, and he got really serious, and he said, no, no, let me, let me explain something to you. If we don't deal with this the right way, you could lose your foot. What, what, now, now you got my attention, man. Like, I mean, this is a whole nother level, right? I'm just like, okay, then here we go. Here we go. Now, how crazy would it have been for him to say, I tell you what, I'm just going to give you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to prescribe a couple aspirins a day for you. And, um, the redness that, that, you know, it's obvious here on the bottom of your foot and that kind of puffiness and everything, we can probably take care of that. We've got some special spray paint over here and we can match it to your skin tone and we'll just spray the bottom of your foot. So it looks, looks, I'd be like, what? That's absurd. That's ridiculous. I think sometimes what we do as it relates to family issues and things is we want to just kind of put a Band-Aid on what really is cancer. And instead of treating a serious infection with the authority of the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God and those sorts of things, we just want to kind of gloss over it. And some of us, our, our, our very temperament, our very temperament many times, our, the way that we're made, the way that we're wired, we hate conflict and all those sorts of things. So we are quick to just kind of sweep things under the rug. And what would have happened had that infection gone unchecked in my foot? It would have been devastating to my health. It would have been devastating. So I want us to, to look at this from, from God's word today with that kind of thought, kind of thought, kind of thought, to finally see, and that's this. There's no hope like the gospel. While there's no pain like family pain, there's no hope like the gospel. You think your family has issues? You think you're running low on hope? Well, the family of God in Isaiah chapter 1 was about as far out as you can get. The prophet Isaiah records the very thoughts of God in regard to his family. And I want to hit for just, 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 just a few of the lowlights from Isaiah chapter 1. Listen to this. Verses 2 and 3. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. My people do not understand. This is God describing his, his people. 
God describes his children as evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord and despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 1. In verses 5 and 6, God asks, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Verse 15, he adds, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Sounds pretty dark, huh? Seems like there's little hope, right? Until you get to verse 18. Listen to what God says in verse number 18 of Isaiah chapter 1. Come now. I love this. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It's the same heart that's revealed to us in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children to the third and the fourth generation. It's the very same heart that caused the prophet Micah to cry out. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. I proclaim to you today, If you don't hear anything else that I've said, please hear this, that hope is found in the grace of God. There is no hope like the gospel. And it must start with an honest acknowledgement. God, I need your cleansing and forgiveness. Now, for some of you here today, we're talking about a first-time encounter with the gospel and the grace of God. Maybe up until now, you felt like, well, I'll find a way to somehow be good enough. I'll just, I'll try to be a good dad. I'll try to be a good husband. I'll try to be a good grandpa. I'll try to be a good grandma. I'll I'll try to do all these good things. The simple truth is this, based on the authority of the word of God, even on your best day, even on my best day, we can't be good enough. Scripture clearly says that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You'll notice that those who are being baptized today are wearing shirts that say very simply, death to life. Death to life. That's not just a cool slogan. That, 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 that's biblical truth. Because until we have turned from our sin to faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture says that we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. And it's not until we turn from our sin to faith in Jesus Christ that we are made alive. We are made alive. And so for some of you here today, that's you. You're in that spot. You've been on this endless trickishness and trying to be good enough. But you can't do it. For others of you, there's some in your own life. There's some issues within your family life, within your relationships that you've continued to ignore and you continue to gloss over and you continue. And it's time for you once and for all to stop and say, Lord, it's me. It's my pride. 
It's my selfishness that's led to this point. It's my addiction. It's my, whatever the case may be. And I don't know what that looks like. Hope for the family begins when we get down to the root issue and it's always the same. It's sin. It's sin. I realized that that's not a popular message. That's not a popular message. But I have to wonder today, do you want a surface makeover? Or do you want to see your family transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you want a truly biblically healthy home, you must go to the root of the problem. I referenced a verse of scripture uh, at the beginning of the message. I want you to consider again Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And then notice the next two words, my salvation and my God. All of those references in the Old Testament that we've seen this morning, they're all ultimately pointing to the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. So I have to wonder today, are you really, truly committed in your family life to partnering with the Lord? Who's really guiding your home and family? It's a favorite verse that many of us turn to when it comes to family life, and it's found in the Psalms. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Well, here's a preview real quickly of three things to expect when you turn in faith to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. It melts our pride. It melts our pride. You'll find in Scripture that the gospel is many times referred to as an offense. Why is that? Because it offends man's pride. Man says, I got this. I'll do this on my own. I'll, I'll somehow be good enough. And the gospel says, you can't be good enough. So it melts our pride. It cleans the slate. It cleans the slate. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it releases his grace. Releases his grace. If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. As we do, I'm going to invite those who are preparing for baptism this head and slip out at this time. If uh, you need to change or whatever the case may be, and we'll have you return up here to the front uh, to prepare for baptism in just a few moments. I don't know where you might be right now as it relates to your family life. I don't know what challenges you're facing I don't know what kind of issues it may be that keeps you up at night. Some may be so significant that you're struggling. You're struggling. But I do know that there is no hope like the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. I would love to meet with you at the end of today's service and personally share with you from God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word.
that your sins are forgiven and heaven will someday be your home. Not because of anything you've done or could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. There may be others here today who would say, Pastor, it's time for me to get real about the spiritual health of my home and family. It's time for me to acknowledge once and for all that the person that I'm looking at in the mirror is the problem. And the root problem is my sin, my pride, my arrogance, my, all of the things that create problems for us in our relationships and our families. I suppose that every wedding I've ever officiated, I've said something like, every great marriage is made up of two very unselfish people. So whatever the challenges of your family life may be, know that there's hope in Christ. There's no hope like the gospel. Father, today we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how incredibly practical it is as it relates to the challenges of this life, to family life. It's my prayer that we all leave here today knowing of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel. Lord, for those families today that need healing, I pray that they turn to you. Lord, I pray that our homes and our families would be a reflection of the gospel, that we would be quick to forgive as we are forgiven that we would honor one another in the way that you've instructed us to. That we would be very intentional about discipling our families and the things of the Lord. May our families, our marriages be a reflection and a picture of your great love, your perfect love for the church. We give you all praise and honor and glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.